0: Uh, good morning, Pockers Church. Um, it is my privilege to come and share the word with you guys this morning. Um, yeah, obviously feeling some kind of way because it's my last Sunday as well, so uh, hopefully I don't break down. I probably won't. But if, if it happens that I do, please just bear with me. <laughs> um, yeah. I think just in, in light of introing the series that we are in, so we're going to be looking. We're going to be looking through a couple of characters. I think, I mean, we've done that through the life of David. Um, it, would, it would have been easier to just take the texts as they were and explain them as they were, but we like singling out people in those stories and just looking at how their lives interact with the, the, the main narrative of the story at hand. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks as well. In light of just celebrating the birth of our King, we want to look at some of the significant, uh, and we won't look at, we won't necessarily look at everyone who was involved in and around Jesus' birth, but we will look at some significant stories and characters of those people. This is not going to be a chronological uh, series, so we, we're not like, following a certain timeline. We're just picking certain characters and we hope that it's just uh, encouraging to you guys as we celebrate um, the birth of our king. So I think the, one of the questions I wanted to ask um, as we get into the text is how do you think it would have been how do you think you would uh, react if you had to meet a member of the British royal family. That's the question I have for you. When given an opportunity to worship a person of significance, how do you think you'd react? Um, For some weird reason, uh, I remembered um, one of the the best method actors um, of the time when I was growing up, uh, Rowan Atkinson. And if you guys know him, he has this character called Mr. Bean. Now, there's one skit where he's getting ready. He's in line to meet the queen, right? And he goes through all this, like, rigid stuff, trying to prepare himself to adore, to, to give a little bit of worship to the queen of England. Like, and, and he goes, like, he... he <laughs> if you guys know Mr. Bean, you know just how funny he is, but, like, he checks his breath. Uh, he, he uses a paper to as his pocket square like there's just a, a whole lot of things but you see the sincerity of what he's trying to do even though he's so funny when he's when he's doing it and the, the part that kills me the most is at the end he's trying to fix his his zipper and his finger is stuck in there he mani- he manages to rescue that at the, at the last moment but then when he shakes the Queen's hand and he bows he knocks her out like he knocks, her, knocks the Queen out with uh, his head um, I don't know why I thought about that, but it's, I had to watch that video again last night in preparation. But yeah, just thinking about that, I want us to just really think about how, how we respond to the birth of the king. How do we respond to the birth of Christ? And we're going to be looking at Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. And I've called this, this sermon, uh, The Two Kings and the Wise Men. I'll just read the text first, I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Matthew chapter 2, I'm reading from the ESV version, so that should be up there. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and diligently search for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Gold and frankincense, frankincense and myrrh, and then, warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just pray that you may just soften our hearts for your word. Um, we just echo um, the, the words of the, the carol. Like We want to come and adore you. We want to come and worship you, Lord. And so may you just ready our hearts, Lord. There may be things we, we've, we come in with from the week that are just heavy on our hearts. There may be things we're looking forward to in the next week that are heavy on our hearts. But I just pray that in this moment, Lord, we may just uh, rest, that, we may just, that, that in, with your Holy Spirit, you may soften our hearts and ready, ready them for your word. Um, yeah, I just pray for this time. I pray for myself as I bring your word, Lord, and I hope that you may be glorified in this. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So I just want to define what worship is quickly. Um, I preached a couple of months ago about um, the sincerity of true worship, and I, I found this definition, which I'll recycle um, from the Merriam Webster Dictionary. It says, to worship is to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. It's to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. And that's what Mr. Bean was trying to do. Um, and there are a few different reactions that we see in this text um, from certain groups of people or individuals. Um, as they respond to the coming of this king. Uh, I'm going to touch on one which I'm not really, like, it's, it's important and I just want to say a few things about it, but I'm going to focus on two others. So the chief priests and the scribes, uh, just a quick word on this. When Jesus was born, the chief priests and the scribes, from this text, we see that they could not have been really bothered with it. They, they simply answer Herod, Herod's question, and the wise men, and they go about their day. So there's a, there's a bit of indifference in their response to Christ being born. And, and that's crazy because they would have been the people who had been studying the texts, and they, they should have been the people who were most anticipating the coming of the king, but yet they're not. Um, and that is not a good response to having an opportunity to interact and, and respond to the arrival of the king. I just wanted to touch on that. Um, it's, not the main, it's not one of the main uh, responses that I want to focus on today, but I just didn't want to leave it out. I want to look at particularly the responses of two um, of Herod and of the wise men. So let's look at Herod first. Um, and in light of looking at, at his response to the coming of the king, I wanted to ask and just figure out who he is, because we're looking at the characters. So who is Herod? Herod was also called Herod the First or Herod the Great. And he, he ruled Jerusalem, and he ruled Israel and Judah for about 34 years. So he was in power for quite a while. He was half Jewish and he was half Edomite, Um, And he had been appointed a a king under the authority of Rome. So Rome had provinces, and they appointed rulers in those provinces to essentially run those provinces for them, and it would normally be a local. So he was a king that was put in there by the Roman Empire. He ruled firmly, but he also ruled pretty ruthlessly he did some good. He didn't just do bad stuff. He built the temple in Jerusalem and he would cancel taxes when the economy wasn't doing too well. I wish, I wish our president would do that as well, um, but he would do that. And there was even a time where he'd even buy corn for the starving during the famine. So he, he had a few things that he was doing right, but he also did a lot of bad. See, it is believed that Herod, especially as he became older, became very suspicious. He was afraid that people were trying to assassinate him. And so what he'd do is he'd use the tactic that many power-hungry people in his position would, and that's murder those people before they murder him. No one was safe, even his own wife, several sons and relatives. So he, there was no one that he was afraid to kill. It is even believed that he planned that at his death, about 3,000 people were to be killed. Important high-ranking members of society. So he was power-hungry, and his desire was to stay king. And we see that he is then troubled by this child, right? Jesus is still a child. Why is this? I've already said that he was an Edomite, so he wasn't entirely Jewish. And so he was, he was always gonna be vulnerable to the claims of a king from the true Davidic dynasty. So a king coming from David's line that had been promised in the scriptures, he was always going to be vulnerable to that king's arrival. And this is what was happening in this instance. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was about 10 kilometers south of Jerusalem, and it was seen as a little insignificant town or city. However, the great king David, from whom the Messiah would come, was from Bethlehem, and so it was known as the the city of the king, the city of David. And we see this in the prophecy by Micah that was quoted in verse 6. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This was a prophecy made um, way before Jesus came, that the shepherd would come from Bethlehem. So Jesus is, in fact, a legit threat to Herod. The arrival of this true king of the Jews represent, Represents a threat to Herod's great throne and to, Not just to him And to Israel's corrupt religious and political leadership as well Especially those in Jerusalem And that's why he wasn't the only one that was troubled If you see verse, verse 3 It says, and all Jerusalem with him But not just that The, the reason all, not just the leaders were, were nervous about it They knew that Herod could go about this like murderous, um, like he could go on these murderous rants. And they knew that no one would be safe. You'd never know who would be in trouble when that happens. And so even the common people knew that this could spell trouble. So Herod reacts to the coming of the king with hatred and hostility. He is afraid that the child would interfere with his life, his place, his power and influence. And having understood the kind of person that he was, we shouldn't be surprised that he plots a plan to kill Jesus. It's not in this text. It's in the text directly below that. But if you read um, verses 16 18 of Matthew 2, you can see how badly Herod wanted to destroy this king. I'm not going to get into that for now, but you can, you, that, that, that can be your homework. He just wanted to destroy him. He even lies about his intentions to the wise men. In verse 8, we see that he says that he also wants to worship um, Jesus. But in reality, we know that Jesus was interfering with his life, and he did not like that at all. Now, we might look at Herod and think about how bad of a person he is for for that, but the truth is there are many who do the same things in their hearts. Jesus interferes with lives. He did with Herod's. He does for me and for you. There are people who do not like it when he does that. When Jesus comes into your life, when you, when you get exposed to him, he challenges you to not live the way you're living. And people don't like that. And some people will do everything they can to destroy him in their hearts. Sometimes even in their actions. They want to do what they like, and Jesus won't let them do so. So they would kill him. William Bartley puts this in a really nice way commenting on this, he says, the man whose desire is to do what he likes has never any use for Jesus Christ. The Christian is a man who has ceased to do what he likes and who has dedicated his life to do as Christ likes. The Christian is a man who has ceased to do what he likes and who has dedicated his life to do as Christ likes. When Jesus comes in, He takes over. He should take over. He should direct how we live. And so we need to be very wary of reacting like Herod when an opportunity comes to worship the true king. Now let's look at the other reaction. And we we see this from the wise men. Again, who are the wise men? Firstly, I just want to say that their sons are not called J.T. The surnames are not called Gamanga. (laughs) For those who don't understand that joke, uh, we have a guy called Wiseman in our church, and his son is JT. I just wanted that to be very clear. The Wiseman were a wide range of people whose practices included astrology, dream interpretation, the study of sacred writings, and the pursuit of wisdom and magic. These guys were, were from the East, so they were most likely from Persia. They were likely in Persia what the Levites were in Israel. These were the teachers and the instructors of the Persian kings. These were, the men, these were men of holiness and wisdom. These were men who were skilled in philosophy, medicine and natural science. They were the people that, they were the guys that people came to for the truth and for direction. For the most part, they were good and holy men who sought for truth. And I just, I just want to touch on the star as well that they talk about. Like, we, we cannot tell what that star really is. But it was their profession to watch the heavens. And for some reason, or for a very specific reason, some heavenly brilliance spoke to them of an entry of a king into the world. Remember that they're from the Persian Empire. But they, they got this message that there is a king that had just been born. And so they traveled long. They traveled very long. It has been estimated that their trip all the way from Babylon to Jerusalem, it's, it's just shy of the distance from Joburg to Cape Town using the N1. They traveled that whole, that whole way. It would have taken them about 40 days. And they had to come with a large number of attendants and guards for the long journey. This, this is also, like, I just want to point that out, that I think there, there's normally a, a misunderstanding of the fact that there might have been three wise men. No, there, there weren't three. There, were, there, there could have been many more. There, there probably were many more, and they came with a whole lot of other people. So they had to be serious. If you have to... Like, bring all your camels and all these gifts that they're going to end up giving to Jesus. Like, you have to really be serious about the kind of journey that you're going on. They wanted to find the king. And this passage doesn't really give us details about the star that they're following. So I'm also not going to speculate. What we do know, though, is this was a miraculous phenomenon. And why do I say that? Because that star led them to Jerusalem. And then after inquiring around in Jerusalem, it appeared again after they met Herod, and it guided them to Bethlehem, and it stopped or rested over the place where the child was. And it's interesting, this, just this, this idea of God communicating with them through the star and through their dreams. And we see that the purpose of the, for the purpose of the fulfillment of God's plan, He cares to meet individuals where they are. And so He communicated with the wise men and led them there, and what followed was really, really special. Now, this for me is, the favor- is my favorite part of the whole passage. They, when they arrived at the house, they, they worshipped and they offered the child gifts. We cannot really tell if the wise men realize the gravity of their actions or not. But what we see from them, their response to meeting this child king, is that they offer sincere worship and an adoration for Jesus. As a child, Jesus, the true king of the Jews, we see here, is being worshiped by Gentiles. The chief priests and the scribes that I touched on earlier didn't care to worship him. They were the people who should have known and anticipated his birth before anyone else because they were the ones who were governing the temple and studying the scriptures of the Old Testament. But they didn't care. It didn't even matter that they were prompted by the arrival of this king, by the wise men. So Jesus here we see is being worshipped by his people. Before being worshipped by his people, he's being worshipped by foreigners. And the actions of these these foreigners, whether intentionally or not, whether consciously or not, foreshadowed not just the worship of Jesus by Gentiles, us being Gentiles, but the gifts they offered also symbolized the fact that Jesus was a holy king, obedient to God, in whose priestly service he would suffer and die. How so? Let's look at the gift and see their uses in, in that time and how they tie to the identity of Jesus. They, they offered him, they gave him as they worshipped a gift of gold. Gold in the Old Testament symbolized royalty. It still does today. The temple was decorated in gold. And customarily, because they are Persians, In Persia, no one would approach a king without a gift, and gold, the king of metals, was a proper gift for the king of men. Jesus was a king, and the wise men knew and acknowledged that. He was the king of kings. The wise men confessed in offering this gold, they confessed his kingship. The second gift we see is frankincense used by the priests in the temple. It was used for temple worship and it was was also mixed with oil to anoint the priests themselves. It was also blended into meal offerings offered to the priests by the people for thanksgiving and praise to God. In presenting this incense to the king, To the child, the wise men either intentionally or unintentionally pointed to Christ as our great high priest, the one whose entire life was pleasing to his father. The third gift we see is myrrh, and myrrh was used to relieve pain and also to make burial less horrible. So it was an embalming substance, Um, and embalming is essentially you preserve a corpse. So, a, corp- a corpse rots, um, but they, they would embalm the corpse with myrrh to stop it from, uh, from decomposing. By any human measure, it would have been odd, if not offensive, to present this gift, this spice used for embalming a dead person at the birth of a child. But it, it was not going to be in, in offensive in this case, nor was it odd. It was a gift of faith. We don't know whether the wise men might have surmised about Christ, what they might have surmised about Christ's uh, future or intended by this gift. But what we know from the Old Testament, that we see prophesied over and over again, is that this Davidic king was going to suffer and die. Jesus himself quotes Psalm 22 while he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, and, and, and Isaiah 53 paints a very vivid picture of the suffering of this king on a cross. And so this was foretold that the, the child or the king would suffer. Jesus came to suffer for our sin and his suffering was symbolized by the wise men's gift of myrrh. William Barclay summarized it in a really brilliant way for me here. He says, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh for one that has to die, that was to die. These were the gifts of the wise men, and even at the the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king, the perfect high priest, and in the end, supreme savior of men. And so the wise men sought to find Jesus. They sought all the the useful information along the way to help them do this and worshipped once they found Him. But what about me and you? What about our worship and our gifts? How do we tie this story into where we are today? We need to look at our worship and our gifts. And a question I have for you is, have you found Jesus? Have you sought Him? The point of the story is not that we might be entertained by the story of Jesus' birth, but that we might find Christ, as the wise men did, and that we might worship Christ and offer Him our gifts too. We, we, We might find Christ, we might worship Him and offer Him our gifts too. And what can you do to find Jesus? I'd say, firstly, you should determine in advance that, as the wise men did, that as soon as you find Him, you will worship Him and give yourself to Him, holding nothing back. If you seek Him, you will find Him. Romans 108 to 13 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. For everyone who calls on the Lord, on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to challenge us as a church to seek him. To seek him. The word is near. We don't have to travel to Cape Town to be close to the word. We don't have to travel to Cape Town to say we will worship him when we get there. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Respond to it. If you if you come to Parkhurst or you go to any Bible preaching, good Bible preaching church, the word is being shared with you each and every Sunday. It's near to you. Are you responding to it? Are you seeking Jesus? And because it's near. Do we, do we also call on Him? Are we, are we calling out to Him to save us? He has promised that everyone who calls on Him will be saved. And so, are you personally calling on Him? When you find Him, you're already here. You're already listening to this message. Are you calling on Him to be the King in your heart? Are you calling on Him to be the great high priest? Are you thanking Him and thinking about the significance of what He did on the cross for you? And when you have considered all of that, how do you then respond? How do you worship Him? What if you've already found Him? I challenge you then, if you've already found Him, if you've already given your life to Christ, if you've already accepted Him as your King, as your Savior, as your Lord, that you would offer Him your gifts, as the wise men did. Offer him your gold, offer him your incense, offer him your your myrrh. Adore him in how you do that. And many of you would ask, Lenka, what do you mean? Like, where where am I going to get myrrh in 2022? Well, let's look at the the symbolic um, meanings of the words for us today, of the gifts for us today. Myrrh to us today is a symbol of spiritual death and that that should come to you for your sin. So we deserve death because we are sinful and God will one day righteously judge, judge us for our sin. So this myrrh should be to us a symbol of the fact that we died to our own selves, old selves. We need to... Let go of how we've been living if it's contrary to what Jesus calls us to. We need to die to self. We need to lay our old old lives at his feet. His work is finished. His work is completely finished. There's nothing we have to do in and of ourselves to gain salvation. We need to lay our old lives at his feet. So we want to worship him and adore him by giving him our myrrh. We want to do that with our incense as well. This symbolizes our worship. We want to worship him as our great high priest. We want to worship him as our Lord and Savior. We want to offer our lives up to him in that way. And lastly, we should give him our gold. We need to give Jesus the throne of our lives. He is the king. We need to acknowledge that He is and we need to acknowledge the right He has to rule over our hearts and over our lives. And so I call upon you, Parkhurst, as my swan song, to adore Jesus. I call on you to adore be a church that adores Jesus. Be a church that adores and worships the Lord. And in so doing, we'll find that as the wise men had returned to their country via another route, our lives will also follow a different path. The good one. The one that leads to eternal life. The one that leads to eternal life with our King. And I, I would encourage you to do that. If 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 you're hearing this and you haven't accepted Jesus and you're hearing God speak to you and you want to respond, I pray that you may you may come. I'm pretty sure Doug will, will make the announcement again. Please come to the front. Don't leave. Come to the front and, and give your life to Christ. Join God's true church. And if if you are a Christian, then I pray your life may be that of worshipping him with your gifts, with your myrrh, with your incense, and with your gold. I pray that this was an encouraging message, and I'm going to be praying for Parkhurst. I love you guys. Thank you for uh, just yeah, having me be a part of this church, and I pray that this may continue being a church that grows in those elements as we seek to be disciple-makers that call people to do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for your word. Um, We thank you for this season as we um, just think and and approach the day in which we celebrate the birth of our King. I just want to pray, Lord, um, for myself personally, and also for the church as a whole, that, Lord, we would not our hearts would not be hardened to you being close to us, to you uh, seeking to be king of our lives. I pray we may not respond in the way that Herod did, trying to uh, still hold on to the thrones of our sinfulness, Lord, but that we would allow you to be king that we would seek you, that we would call on you so that we may be saved, and that as a result we may, our hearts may overflow with worship, that we may declare that you are the one whose finished work has saved us, that you are the one who will represent us on Judgment Day, and that you are king over our lives. May we worship and adore you in everything in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.